Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends, a podcast from MI6 HQ and the magazine MI6 Confidential. I'm Paul Atkinson. Today we are torturing ourselves listening to and watching uh, James Bond Jr. episodes 3 and 4. And to join me we have a mega panel including uh, Phil Noble Jr., David Lee, Calvin Dyson, James Page, Shaw Longmore, Ben Williams, Bill Koenig, Lisa Funnel, and is there anyone left on the list? No. Would you <laughs> kindly introduce yourselves please? Sure. This is Phil Nobile, uh here to put the junior in James Bond Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. No, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I regret that. I that it sounds wrong. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Swiftly moving on. Hey, David, how you doing? I'm okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I'm going to follow Phil. Uh, I am David Lee. Next. <laughs> uh, I'm Calvin Dyson and I have a YouTube page under my name where I have looked at several James Bond Jr. episodes before and I think I might be one of the few fans of the episode well one of the episodes that are about to watch on this panel but we'll see Sean Hi I'm Sean Longmore I'm an artist um, I sometimes do James Bond stuff. Um, I've already got tears in my eyes, so I'm sorry that probably the majority of this is going to be really unintelligible for me. Uh, <laughs> just be laughing the whole time. I didn't realise that, that tears showed up on, on audio. Um, <laughs> hi, it's, uh, this is Ben Williams. I write for mi6hq.com and mi6 Confidential Magazine. Um, this is my kind of first foray into James Bond Jr., so... Very excited. <laughs> oh, uh, hi, I'm uh, Bill Koenig, and I'm with the, the uh, Spy Command, and we are here today to celebrate the uh, creative uh, brainchild of Michael G. Wilson uh, with James Bond Jr. And I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond, and host of the License to Critique podcast. But you're considering a book about James Bond Jr., right? I like James Bond Jr. So I grew up watching it. So I'm I'm in it to win it. Like Calvin and I are going to bring somebody over to our team. <laughs> One of you are going to go over to our fan team. So, well, you know, like Ben, I'm a I'm a James Bond Jr. novice. I have to admit. I mean, I've been doing this to, you know what 15 years, and uh, this is the first time I bothered to YouTube it. It's gonna be good. <laughs> is it, uh, is it? Yeah, it might not be Paul. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a good podcast. <laughs> and lastly, we've got James Page from MI6 HQ. Say hello, James. Hello, and I'm very sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us weren't on the last one. Do you guys need to catch us up on? What's the plot? Previously, well, previously on James Bond and yes. Junior and Friends, uh, I, we did I, we I did cover the his, histories of the series and um, its broadcast and all that kind of stuff. We did cover all that in the first episode. So if you're joining us now, go back and listen to that one first and decide whether this is worth your time. Give me twenty minutes. The episodes, <laughs> the episodes are pretty self-contained. So. Uh, they hadn't adopted it, it, that serialized uh, format. No. 
No, this <laughs> is this is this is the last gasp of uh, however you want to call the self-contained episode <laughs> format of television. All you need to know is that James Bond Jr. is James Bond's nephew, and he's at an English boarding school, and they go on trips, and he gets in adventures. That's kind of the the very yeah. base setup. And all the people who are with him, there's IQ, who's the grandson of Q. There's Gordo Leiter, who's a surfer dude, but he's, I think, the son of Felix Leiter. So there's some connection to other James Bond figures, and some villains might pop in from, from the films. So there's yeah, a James the, Bond's brother or sister that had a kid. Right, right. and he named after their brother. Oddjob traded in his butler outfit for a supervillain costume, but he still has his hat. Mm. How is your um, action figure, Lisa? Oh my gosh. I bought myself the uh, James Bond Jr. Odd Job action figure. Um, yes. I have not opened it from its package because it didn't really want to do that, but it is sitting, honestly, right behind the books that I've written. So I'm like, it's in a very prized place. I was so excited to open that for myself that I bought for myself at Christmas. I have the same one, Lisa. We need to do some kind of like retweet thing where we like both pose with our uh, uh, James Bond Jr. I, I'm, 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 I'm saying the the next uh, video the video bleh, the next video live stream we do should be fun because you're just going to be showing off your action. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm thinking right now both uh, Lisa and Calvin are going to get a call of appreciation from Michael G. Wilson. Um, <laughs> I mean, again, Michael G. Wilson is listed as one of the developers of this series, so it's like three names, and he's number one on that list. Mm. Mm. Call me. Love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Love to talk Bond. Do a reboot. So has everybody got the YouTubes <clears throat> yeah. yes. lined up? Yeah. You should have a blue title screen from the old VHS. <laughs> yeah. All right. Paul, do you want to do the countdown on us? All right. Um, should we just go from three? Does that sound good? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sounds, sounds Go from 15. Uh, 14. <laughs> 13. From 25. 10. <laughs> 9. 8. 3. 2. 1. Play. This, this beginning up. sequence is, is reminds me of The Rock um, when mm. they go and steal the VX gas, um, which I think is entirely where they got the... Uh, Ouch. the they just stole it from James Bond Jr. I bet Michael Bay was a big James Bond Jr. fan. <laughs> Do you think Whoa. the zapper was like even extra deadly if it's done in the rain? Yeah. Hmm. Like, well, wouldn't it zap both of you? Now it's now we're into face-off territory. Mm. <laughs> I, I, when I first saw this, I was thinking Rogue of the X Men. Oh yeah, because mm. mm. he's taking the power from each person. He's absorbing their energy. It's T two, so it's 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 the Rock meets T two. So is this the pre-title sequence? <laughs> yes. Oh great. And did this come out after Terminator two? Because I mean, like this idea of like taking somebody else's identity. I no, mean, that's is, exactly what it is. No, actually, pretty... that idea has been kicking around in comic books for like 20 years. I mean, it's in Thunderbolt. Came out. When he opens yeah, so the door this... and gets zapped by his... Right. Yeah. Who, who, who can watch this intro now and not hear Piss Brosnan? Sorry, it wasn't Rogue from X-Men. Who am I talking about? What's the character that steals people's... Mystique. Mystique, that's what I was thinking of. Mystique. Yeah. Well, you know, well, even before that, still, though, in the 60s, there was power. something called the super adaptoid. Mm. Um, an android that could steal people's powers and tried to do it in Captain America. And 
I think that um, this villain is interesting. It's the chameleon uh, is is the villain, and it is a bit comic booky. But it is the first time in the series that in the previous episode we had Goldfinger and Odd Job. In episode one, you have Jaws and Scumlord, who's just kind of like a Blofeld uh, ripoff. This is the first time they're doing something completely original. So I find it quite interesting from that angle of like, okay, how are they going to write their own original villains? Um, and it certainly goes a lot more fantastical than the films would. But I think that's appropriate, really. Yeah. Pretty red right. half shirt on that guy. It's not as fantastical as, say, Zhao or, you know, um, <laughs> Gustav Graves. I mean, it's in that territory, isn't That's it? That's true, yeah, yeah. actually. <laughs> what? what? Okay. Yeah, then he's got... He's, he's, so the plot device here is he's got a parachute in his long underwear. Yeah, <laughs> which we all, all English people wear. <laughs> I knew it! I do actually have some long underwear. <laughs> so do I. I wear it in my review video of this episode, which you can find on YouTube. <laughs> I find I find all of the voices of these characters to be um, offensive and irritating. <laughs> because beyond, beyond the accents, it's all grown-ups trying to do kid voices, right? And they're leaning a little too hard into it. Well, it, it is somewhat of a, a prestigious uh, voice cast, really. I mean, Corey Burton, Jeff Bennett, uh, uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Like Some of these people are quite, you know, they, they work a lot. Corey Burton mm -hmm. does an awful lot of Disney stuff in particular. Jeff Bennett, the same. Um, but they are sort of like jobbing voice actors and not British. <laughs> Due to Brexit, Tracy, your passport's no longer valid. Well, this, is, <laughs> this, is a, this is a plot device to get the uh, usual female lead out of the picture so that he can have a dalliance with another female female lead i mm. guess just just uh, like a way of kind of going oh your passport's expired and she's there like i've been looking forward to this for weeks and it's like well get your passport renewed then that was does she have a, a, a parentage that ties to fleming the way like the lighter kid does or no? no she's just called tracy and mm. by the oh, way I, I love this shot of rural dc and now we're in some like eastern european country yeah. but it's dc it's dc the lines are blurred it's interesting how that we get a tour of the Capitol building just days after other people have got a tour <laughs> yeah. of the Capitol building. Mm. So, so this is where it's explained that he's got microcontrollers in his face to change his appearance. And they are malfunctioning. But they so, go wrong if they get wet. Oh. <laughs> That's a big flaw. Unfortunate that, yes. So I'm not sure what the oh. ethnicity of this. Uh, I was pretty happy to accept that it was voodoo, but his ethnicity is slightly orange. surprised they wrote a wrote a legitimate explanation for. Hmm. Does the doctor have a hunch? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he has a suspicion. Oh, quite, quite, yeah. quite a hunch. Look at that. That's a parachute. <laughs> he, he has a hunch and a monocle. That's an yeah. interesting combination. That's a, that is a combination. <laughs> I just that that magazine's just called the man. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> he's got a hunch he's on his not back the man you're looking for. <laughs> his head has tears. <laughs> Get it with water. Yes, the dead, it's the deadly hose pipe that they have in there. An MP is overcome by a hunchback. <laughs> and a hose pipe, which is considering that the doctor's tech is defeated by water, why would you have a hose pipe in your office? <laughs> well, of course, this is a, a kid's show and people don't get killed. They just get knocked out. That's why it was a taser earlier on and not a gun or anything like that. It's, uh, yeah. Oh, here's Mitchell, the worst guardian 
on earth. He takes oh school God. students to a foreign country and then leaves them alone for the vast majority of it. Doesn't he want to read something? Was it the Declaration of Independence or some sort of thing? And he's just like, hey, you, y'all can go. I'm just going to stay here I'm gonna, and read. I'm going to stand here and read the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> to be fair, me and my uh, school, uh, one of my classes, we, we did get taken to Las Vegas on a school trip when we were all about like 17. And our teachers did just leave us to sort of wander down the strip, which was... What, what they do, give you a uh, stack of chips and say... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, fake IDs to go with it, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> is, is her skirt a little short for a military yes. uniform? I was just just wondering. That's not regulation. <laughs> of all of the things that you could pick up on of, of the veracity <laughs> in this in this television show, um, the, the length of her uh, hem is uh, is an interesting one. Well, I do have a question, actually. How old do you have to be to serve in the military in the States? Because I'm assuming that 15. the kids are all about, like, 16 or something. Like, they're all yeah. still at school. Well, you'd be 18, but then there's, like, uh, the ROTC. You can, you can sign up when you're 16, but I think it takes a... I, I think it takes a few up. years to become lieutenant, which is what she is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. She's so ranking. She's probably mm. 25 or 26, hanging out with... James Bond Jr. enjoys pulling rank. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and here is where rioters will so <laughs> sorry i'm just thinking back to the background it makes it look like washington has is nothing but fields for about until about the city limits <laughs> i think it's it's a little more built up than that but it was even, undeveloped even back in 89 <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it is a just from a few years ago so <laughs> I, yeah, I think in 1991, there were still a lot more built up than that background. And, and more than two cars on the road as well. Yeah. And how is that Jeep well, safe? Like, you, I, nobody has seatbelts. They're packing like half a dozen people into like the back of... Anyways. What message does that send kids exactly? Yeah. In, in, in terms of car lack of cars on the road, I mean cartoons have done that for oh what kind of jeep was it (laughs) because uh like in 1968 there was a batman cartoon apparently the batmobile was like the only thing in the streets of gotham city it's like no wonder batman could get there so fast there was no traffic and nobody and nobody else is up in this town either they're the only tourists whoa I do like that the villain's plan is just pushing people oh, no. out of a window. Yeah, window. <laughs> Shut me out the window once, shame on you. It looks like that. That looks What's like friend, a little old lady. The, uh, the uh, police were helping down the steps the other day. Oh, here, Miss Insurrectionist. <laughs> She's right out of a laugh-in sketch. Look, look like Elton John to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, as a Brit, can I ask, does the Washington Monument actually have big windows like that? It's got two instead of one, so they got that wrong as well. Like, nobody yeah. bothered to look at a picture of it. Or <laughs> hmm. interpretive version of the... Uh, of interpretive the, uh, version. <laughs> well, I figured it's all being animated somewhere in Asia, right? This is like... Uh, yeah, one of those Asian. Oh, Asian yeah, look countries. at the fields around the Washington Monument. You know, the Monument. Oh, yeah. Best, best guess. Like... <laughs> yeah, South Korea is where it was animated. <clears throat> Which, I have a question for you, which Felix do you think is that guy's dad? (laughs) (laughs) I think that like he's the apple of one Felix's eye, but he's a profound disappointment to some of the other Felix. (laughs) 
Jeffrey Wright Felix, that's ending up on Maury Povich. Either, either that. <laughs> Either that or while uh, Felix was on assignment, Mrs. Leiter may have, uh, you know. Um, the milkman but... from Living Daylight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but dear, he doesn't look anything like me. Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> I like how he could just flip, flip her right into the window when they were there, but with, when they weren't there, they couldn't do yeah. that. Hmm. Power of teamwork. <laughs> I mean, There's too many kids on the It's like, yeah. I've got to do this. Oh, did no, the, no, did the lighter kid hit the steroids or at an early age? Yeah. Oh. It's, you know, uh, that recombinant bovine growth hormone. He just had, he wasn't, you know, it was all that unorganic milk he was drinking as a kid. <laughs> Big problem in America, you know. So they watched, uh, you know, when, when they make Quantum of Solace, they just watched that parachute that's right (laughs) yeah what films are lifting off this like so die another day takes the face swapping thing uh a view to a kill uh you to a kill was first so you got to count only the ones that that what movies stole from james bond jr sorry i thought you were asking what is this cartoon well you could argue zao and gustav graves was a knockoff of this episode yep yep we're going to come to a golden eye knockoff in a bit or or rather golden eye knocked this off with the tank uh but we'll get there Another James Cameron moment later on as well. You know, I, th- I think Arnold Schwarzenegger was the father of that lighter kid. He's <laughs> <laughs> basically a He-Man knockoff. Yeah. Well, they are all as well designed to, you know, different. They look different on the shelf as well. The action figures and those kinds of shapes somebody, toys do somebody, sell quite well. Somebody cemented in the Pentagon. Yeah, yeah I noticed that too. <laughs> And this is maybe they had leftover, maybe with the uh, so, merchandise. Maybe they had leftover He-Man action figures, and they were just rebranded as the lighter. Game. There you go. So, who's seen RoboCop? Uh, sure. This looks like a two hundred nine. Yeah. What can possibly also, go wrong? But it's also like the um, the the things from uh, oh fucking that uh, James Bond, not, uh, James Cameron film. Uh, you know that they won Pandora. Avatar. Avatar. Avatar, thank you. It's the Avatar machines, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Only if you can put a guy inside. Yeah, that's what that's Is why that what that one is? Yeah. So, so this is a mech suit. Okay. Yeah. So it's not quite Ed 209. Ed 209 is autonomous. Right. Yeah. This whole sequence here, this 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 bit coming up is uh, I, I'll just confess something. I did watch this before we 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 started recording, so I do have the, the the other thing too. The plot for this episode is that he has to steal this uniform, but he could have easily have just walked into that base without this uniform on by just copying the face of somebody else. Which huh. tell well, that to Roger well, Moore in Octopussy. He needs right. that uniform. <laughs> oh, and ultimate, ultimately, he gets into the base by. Um, Copying a senator in a suit, so the whole yeah. thing about the uniform is completely redundant. Yeah, well, exactly. and also, and also, given their tech, you think they could just make a fake uniform instead of yeah, going somebody, somebody could, yeah, somebody could easily just, you know, 
Oh, is so, this what you're talking about? Uh, cultural appropriation? Yeah, it's yeah he good. pretends to be Indian. It's and good. of course, you know, Indian food has hot sauce, which makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other funny thing about the, this sequence is I thought he, what he was going to do was just bring it in there and that they would all eat it and then that would be the, the, the issue. Right. right. But no, he gets discovered immediately. Um, <laughs> and, and rightly so. Yeah, and rightly so. <laughs> Somebody said, are you doing a, a, a really inappropriate cultural? <laughs> yeah, these, these villains are pretty bad. So hold on a second whilst I'll just get this champagne cork in your face. <laughs> a lot of jumping out of windows. Then this whole thing of like running around in, in, in the corridors is, is kind of ridiculous. You'll see him run into a room, and literally a split second, James Bond Jr. is behind him. He would there would have been no way that he would have not. There you go. How did he not? Also, also, <laughs> room room one hundred one is upstairs, which makes no sense. And um, they say we didn't order room service, but the guy was like, "I'm taking this to three eleven. So like, didn't know what yeah. the hell? Mm. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And I guess I, nobody else is staying at this hotel. <laughs> also, a, a minute ago, it was rather convenient. There were no, uh, the, there was a parking space right in front. <laughs> and he, um, and his whole plan here is to copy this guy's face so that he can throw something at the police, and then that's it, right? It's, I mean, I don't know, I'm confused by it. Logic. It's it's got the logic of uh, of a die another day. But how do you feel about the character Trevor? Because, I mean, he is the person who's constantly the butt of the jokes. He is constantly the foil um, compared to, like, the actual group of friends. He's not really part of the group. He's just being dragged along pretty much in order to, you know, fool any plan. Any thoughts on him? He's not a likable character, is he? No. Um, well, I, I think... I think he... Oh, so go on, Ben. No, I was just going to say, he's, he's sort of... Um... Because he's because he's played as very kind of a feat in English. Uh, I wonder if he's the kind of the the traditional kind of concept of what of how the Americans see the English as rather kind of ineffectual and kind of um, fussy, yeah, um, and cowardly. So he's you know he is the foil to, to to Bond in that in that respect. But I'm sorry if this was covered, but did this air in the UK or is this strictly yes. for American? Yes, it did. No, it aired in the UK in the summer holidays. I just want to point out that like, a lieutenant in the army just goes, oh, yeah, we're unveiling this secret prototype at the Pentagon. You want to come along? <laughs> <laughs> High school student. Yeah, well, that's something that they could they could have written this in a way that, like, yeah, it's a school trip or something. Like, what I think is really good about um, Anthony Horowitz, um, Alex Ryder books, the ones that I read when I was a kid, is that he does sort of the plots are sort of based around. Yeah, only a kid could do this because it's a competition that a kid has to enter, and he yeah. has kid specific gadgets and that kind of thing. And and that would have been really good if they did that with James Bond Junior. They don't really, or at least not that much in the episodes that I've seen. Pentagon security, one guy with a stick. <laughs> well, in this case, did you? Well, that's that's kind of uh, it was based on uh, the capital security. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. It's foreshadowing. Yeah. Well, they would have they would have just let him in almost thirty years before it was ahead of its time. It's a long foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> 
he stuns him here, but why doesn't he just take his uniform here exactly. instead of having the whole thing of stealing it? Exactly. It makes no sense. And he gains about, and he gains about 60 pounds. Yeah. And this machine looks like something out of RoboCop. Yeah, definitely. Like it, it's, that was foreshadowed like, earlier in the podcast. <laughs> well, I know, I know, but seeing it, but that, but that, you know, it's one thing to talk about to actually see it. I like missed your call. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and of course, the scientist has to be of a minority culture. Mm. He didn't have to show his pass earlier to get in. Right, she's got a plus one on her pass. Yeah. <laughs> Just drives right on into the secret testing site. Yeah. Straight. Wow. It's impressive. It's, uh... Of course, there's no bullets. They're all little laser beams. <laughs> so his plan is to steal this. Lasers are dangerous. <laughs> his plan is to steal this and give it to someone else, right? Yeah. Scum. Don't call Sean that. He's just asked. <laughs> I just, it's like, I like next, next to the sandwiches, next to the sandwiches and the Kool-Aid, there's a bazooka. Yeah. <laughs> and a uh, inspector was off limits, hey? Yes. No so he knows, he's called, he knows he's called the chameleon, even though they haven't discussed that bit yet. Yeah. I love that he just leaves her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is like aliens when she does the getaway from her. He he shuts her in. He shuts the door. Yeah. Mm. This is new under the under the floor with the, the the queen alien. Because like he could kill her right there. I mean, get like away. I get his plot about doing the whole golden eye thing here, but like he she could have died. But he does <laughs> he does politely put her down now. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, then. well, you know, they both know they're in a cartoon. They know the rules of engagement. <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill her. I'll be right back. Well, I was never going to kill her. It's a kid's show. Mm-hmm. But that's a shameless Ed 209 rip, except they stick a, stuck a person in it. Mm. It's pretty wild. I don't think it's the only time ever that there's been a, a, a kind of piloted um, machine like this. Piloted I mean, neck you, thing. If you go back to the 1950s and you look at a lot of things like Dan Yeah, Dare. there was those two-legged things walking around in Return of the Jedi on Endor as well. But usually yes. water is not the foil. Scout walkers. Like, how do, you, how do you make a machine where water is the foil? Well, yeah. water gets into it as well. So Yeah, because yeah, water does its face, doesn't it? <clears throat> Works for Wizard of Oz. They haven't worked out the sealant on it. Yeah. And it's America, so it's probably not going to rain. They're going to take them back. It's also, to the J- it's also James Bond, so it doesn't rain. Yeah. Pre Craig era. Pre Craig, non rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave you. Just leave you, leave you behind. <laughs> Into the vast fields around DC. <laughs> that was great. Well, that went mm. a lot faster watching it with a lot of people laughing at it than it did. <laughs> yes, laughing at it though. Yeah, I do wonder how these people's careers are going. <laughs> I, I think. Sorry, I'm going to be really nerdy here. So interesting to note. I think this is the first use of serpentine, the typeface in James Bond, which would be oh, the typeface oh, through yeah. the 90s. Yes. Ooh. Oh my god. I do. Wow. I do like a good bit of. 
font um, identification. Yes, and then on every piece of fan art in the 2000s. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's good and anyway, to answer Paul's question, I think Michael G. Wilson did okay. <laughs> fine, he did fine. I think most of the people did, like you know, writing in uh, you know TV <clears throat> animated cartoons, and a lot of them had worked in the seventies and eighties and all that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, that kind of stuff. W- weren't some of the same people that worked on Ninja Turtles worked on this as well? I think yeah, so. Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. Every, yeah, every interview, recommended video on YouTube after this because I got studying sweep, which was a blast from I've the got past. Rugrats. Oh, I've got Peppa Pig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got Peppa Pig too. That must oh. be some kind of British specific. Uh, yeah, interesting. See that you guys have watched other things on the weekend. <laughs> I have the one-hour compilation of Rocky and Bullwinkle that I've never seen in my life. I don't think oh, I've ever seen it. You should watch it. You should watch that. Got a bunch of Thatcher videos. <laughs> Rocky, Rocky and Bullwinkle has great satiric writing. It's like it's all in the. It's very fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's where you like you know wink and a nod like it knew the adults were watching too. Rocky and Bullwinkle. If you've never seen right. it, it's really an interesting cartoon. Didn't they reboot it? Uh, yeah, with Robert was, De Niro, <laughs> and then as a some other thing. There was a theatrical cartoon. Yeah. Some years back, I mean, relatively recently. Um. So, anyway. so what do we all think about the first original villain? <laughs> well, uh, not that original. Mm. Like I said, you know. This this concept had been around for decades before this, but uh, eh, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> Is that B minus? <laughs> uh, more like a C minus, maybe. But uh, sure, uh, I I think it's quite good. Um, certain, certainly, when you I, I when I referred to the, it as being an original villain for the series, I certainly meant original in terms of no, you know, previous. It's not based on anything from the films that preceded it. Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting from a, like, Lisa brought up Trevor Noseworthy as well. You see his characterization is still being slightly developed. He's very much an antagonist in that first episode, and then here he's more of sort of just like a comic frenemy um, who comes along. Some of the character models are a little bit looser you'll notice some of the faces are a bit more cartoony uh, and rubbery than they have been in a couple of the previous episodes um, which i think is a move in the right direction to make it slightly more cartoony um so yeah this is the f- this was the first one that i watched when i was watching a few of them in the running order that i actually quite liked uh, and it's a nice little adventure in its own right there are too many characters definitely phil brought that up earlier on and i mean you know you only really need james bond jr tracy and iq and then everyone else is kind of surplus really out of the friendship group but um, isn't it interesting that the 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 quote-unquote adult franchise has started to pivot toward giving him the extended scooby gang family that that that, that seems such an ill fit here yeah and that's really true. Mm. And mm. they switched the van to land rovers but other than that <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> now as, as an episode i think it's pretty solid you get in terms of a story, I think this is one of the few times in James Bond Jr. where there isn't like a sudden deus ex machina introduced at the end to defeat the villain. Mm. It's actually set up at the start. Mm. Well, also, uh, just to uh, amend, slightly amend my previous comment, it, there's at least an attempt to kind of explain how the villain can change his appearance. I mean, it's not, I'm not sure the science is that, you know, great but it's but there's at least an attempt so it's, it's still not, not like, an invisible color though is it yeah i mean i mean 
you know, I mean, I've seen variations where someone could just like change appearance almost by will. <laughs> but mm. I do find the depiction of women in this to be a little weird for me. Like the idea of putting Tracy, who's a major character, casting her aside in order to have a different woman step in as a potential love interest. But she's also an adult. And I and I know oftentimes like high school kids are oftentimes played by adults or they are adulted up. But just thinking about James Bond Jr. being a teenager and flirting with and connecting with a woman who's a lieutenant who's like probably mid-ish 20s, which is where she should probably, or even older. It's just, it's an, yeah, it just sort of gave me a little bit of, of the creeps. Um, just because like, even as a, as a professor, like my students, I see them as kids. I see them as children. <laughs> you know, they, uh, there's a growing, but, but you know, the, they're not at that level and, and they're, they're, they've graduated high school. And so just to actually think about the dynamics there, it's just, I, I get the older woman thing and, and I get it all, but I still, it still creeps me out and it's sort of a weird message to send to kids, but. Well, and that's why I brought up the thing about the uh, lieutenant's skirt, because first mm-hmm. of all, it's not just short, it's very tight. It's like, I don't think that's regulation. I, you know. Mm-hmm. And knee high. So that's. Mm-hmm. She knee high socks that almost look like knee high boots, right? Like there is almost yeah. like a sexualization of her where her skirt, her, her skirt, her skirt should, should be down to her knees and it should not be um, skin tight. It should be little, sort of a straight cut. Yeah. Yeah, instead of being I, I, a little I've, bit sexualized. I, I find it quite interesting that um, you can talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, I quite find it interesting that you can talk about, uh, you know, the plot and whether the villain was any good and, and so on, because when I'm watching it, uh, all I see is that uh, all this uh, bad animation and I, I don't I don't get any sense of story or anything out of it. It's too too far removed from from anything approaching like reality for you. It's uh, it's I, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's just this year, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just I, I don't know. It's it's just this this moving mess of color, well, and you know, yeah, okay. there's that's there, on the back of the that's on the back of the Blu-ray, that David. Moving mess. <laughs> it's a moving mess of color. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I understand what you're saying. There's there's no spark here for me the way there is in even even my least favorite Bond film where where you're being sold a sort of a, a fantasy reality of of you know exotic locations and, and gadgetry and whatnot. This is it's just been all scrubbed clean and and I'm I'm not I don't know that I would ever get invested in in a, a cartoon named at kids at this point, but it, it's I don't feel any of the DNA of the franchise in here when I watch yeah, it. Yeah, because it, it, it could be it could be Fred Bloggs Jr. It, it, it's it's <laughs> nothing to do with James Bond. It's you know it's 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 so weird for me. And I think a lot of that's to do with the design as well. I think it it would have helped to have some kind of Ken Adam. I mean, we we discussed this in the last one, I think, but some kind of Ken Adam aesthetic, some kind of something that isn't just like a you know a Transformers knockoff, uh, GI Joe knockoff, uh, yeah. any of those things. And I think that's you know the animation is of its era. I'll I'll say of uh, sure. the time it was made, but it, it, even then though, it was still maybe a bit. If this came out mid eighties, it would be acceptable but coming out when it did like 1990 whenever it was it, it was a bit past its uh yeah past its date really 
It's it's interesting. It does that thing that sort of uh, the film franchise was doing a little bit earlier on, where it's trying to be like something else. So the animation, in a way, is trying to be like Teenage mm. Mutant Ninja Turtles, GI Joe, and I think mm. there are children's spy animation programs that came out later, sort of like Kim Possible or Totally mm. Spies, that feel oh. way more like James Bond and way more oh, connected. Pinky in the Brain. Pinky in the Brain's <laughs> got better design. <laughs> but they, 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 even they feel more like Bond than this does. It's really strange yeah. that they should like shed that heritage away. Kim Possible's great, actually. That's a really good reference for like how to really do a really good sort of kids spy um, adventure series. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. When you watch it, it is it's loaded with Bond references. There's yeah. there's so many in there, and it, it feels really odd to me that they didn't do that here. Well, yeah. I think it's I think it's not an accident. I think you know with uh, Kim Possible or The Incredibles or whatever, they, they are not. Uh, they don't have any agenda to act to protect the franchise so they can just lean into it willy nilly as much as they want, because it's not their franchise. If this is an authorized piece of content from Eon, there's this thing probably got noted to death in terms of like, well, don't go too far in this direction and don't make it too much like the movies. We want to keep the, you know, keep it separate, keep it its own thing. They probably, uh, uh, made some conscious efforts to, to steer away without having a real strong idea of what to do instead. Mm. But I think that that's something that I've felt about, like the Daniel Craig era. Like it's an interesting parallel as you're talking. Cause I'm thinking like, how is it that other films released in the two thousands and 2010s feel more like James Bond films and do more referential work than the actual James Bond films themselves. And I think this is a good maybe precursor to that of taking like, it's, it's sort of bond technically by name, but it's, it's missing some of the essence and essence is difficult to quantify, but then it, it raises that question of if it doesn't have that essence, then what is the purpose serving right. of, of, of that? And even this notion, like you say, of protecting, you know, and protecting, but what good is it to protect something when it doesn't have the essence? Like then what is the value in that content? And so sometimes you can hold on to something way too tight and it just literally seeps through your fingers. So, yeah. I was going to say, going back to your point, David, about not connecting, would it have helped, do you think, if he'd have kept his Aston Martin DB5? <laughs> the red one? Oh, God. <laughs> In the, fir- in the first episode, he has an Aston Martin DB5, which they ditched to this other car, obviously because they can't make the toy Aston Martin DB5. So, oh, yeah. Do you know what? I, 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 I am being, so, I I am being sarcastic. Really, yeah, I, I don't really think it would, yeah, even if you are being sarcastic. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I'll ask, answer seriously, no. I don't know what it would take, really. It's just, it seems like one of those things you get back from school and there's this crappy animation on tv when you get home and you don't really watch it it's just on tv and well but, but you know that but this is more or less how animation was on tv at the time yeah, um it's a real low this, point this is the, this is the period when they began outsourcing <laughs> this stuff to korea to animate um I mean, you know, the way they, that awkward way they run when they're running. I mean, I saw that kind of animation on other cartoons of the era. So, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you have a good story, you can put up with the crappy animation or mediocre animation. Yeah. A little more kind. Yeah. I'm also sort of of the opinion that I don't actually know exactly good animation when I see it. So it all feels a bit, like David said, a bit of a, a blurry, colorful mess sometimes. I, I have to admit, I up not watching a lot of you know animated television series and so something about them feels a bit like 
overblown and overdone, even the best of them, probably. <laughs> well, I was about to say, I mean, limited animation has been in effect since 1957, so it's not exactly new. And, uh, 1957 is when Hannah, Hannah and Barbera got fired from being the heads of the MGM cartoon department because MGM decided to stop making their own cartoons. That's where it all began. That's the end of the beginning of the end for MGM, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Because uh, you know, they had done, you know, they had done the Tom and Jerry cartoons from nineteen forty, you know, and then they ran the cartoon operations starting nineteen fifty five. And then in fifty seven they said, Bill and Joe, yeah, you're out of here. But finish up any cartoons you got in the pipeline. And then so they we- started anyway, they started their own company in mid fifty seven. They had their first you know, cartoon show on TV in, you know, November 57, something like that. So, but to make it work for TV, they had to do a lot, you know, they called it limited animation. You only animated the things that absolutely had to be animated. And um, if that was the beginning of the end for MGM, can somebody please put them out of our misery? Well, where are we at now? Are we at the end of the end of the end of the beginning of the end? <laughs> Something like that. It's 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 the long goodbye. Um, it's that last bit. Of, it's, it's the last bit of air that gets expelled like from the body. The that just keeps coming back. <laughs> I'll defend the animation. Like considering the time restraints that they were working to, the budgets, all that kind of stuff. I think it comes down to the design, which is different to the animation. Like when you look at something like Animaniacs, which was uh, sort of around this time, I think, which had really great like rubber hose, like bounce and stretch, some really good cartoony animation, and that's because of the designs. I mean, you look at James Bond Jr. How many lines are on his body that need to be drawn? And then also for something like this like for the chameleon that we just saw for each face that he had, there need to be a different character model sheet for each um, disguise that he wears, the clothes, all that kind of stuff. So there's an awful lot of work going on on the design side. And I think by making it look too, uh, you know, human-y or realistic, if that's what they're going for, the body proportions are sort of realistic. I think that's kind of what's let, what lets them down more than the animation well, Calvin, itself. Calvin, just to piggyback on what you said, Animaniacs, while it was its own thing, they also evoked sort of like the classic Warner yeah. Brothers cartoon. Mm-hmm. Had the budget yeah. behind it. Yeah. So yeah. you can still do limited animation and it can be very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Like Animaniac, mm-hmm. the Batman, the animated series, that kind of stuff. It's Oh, yes. You, you know what this is making me wish we had seen? It was like that, that 70s filmation era. I don't know if anybody remembers, but the, the Tarzan oh. and Flash Gordon eras. Imagine a Bond cartoon in that style would have been a it's, lot of fun. Actually, it started with the uh, the new adventures of Superman in '66. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 put filmation on the map. So then filmation did well other DC characters, and then yeah, they did the that golden age where they had like where they were rotoscoping Tarzan and, and Flash Gordon yeah. and, and whatnot. That style would have really lent itself well to this. Yeah, but, uh, but think, th- thinking about limited am- animation, yeah, because probably you're right, Calvin. It, it is about the design, and uh, the, actually, limited animation isn't a problem for me. If I think that I, I used to watch uh, South Park and enjoy that, and that's uh, mm. pretty limited. Uh, so, so yeah, I, it, it is the design. That's a good example, really, as well. And I think, uh, sorry, I can't remember if it was you or Bill that mentioned it, but the writing itself as well, like, because, you know, South Park at the time, you know, good satire and quite sharp writing, whereas uh, this is, yeah, not (laughs) the same standard. Let let me bring up one more example, since it's in the espionage genre, of course, is Johnny Quest. And in that Mm. case, again, limited animation, but the characters were designed by a cartoonist 
who did a lot of uh, adventure comic strips. And so the characters were very realistically designed. Is that Alex Toth? Animating them sometimes presented challenges, but uh, the the designs were great, except for the dog, who was clearly a cartoon dog. But that was something Hannah and Barbera said, but well, you got to have a dog. So, okay. I think, going sure. to, what you, sorry, yeah. what you were saying about the animation is um, um, I was reading, so I was reading Mark Edlitz's new book, which touches on James Bond Jr. quite a lot. And in there, he has a direct, he's a, a, an interview with the director. Mm. Um, I think the thing about James Bond Jr. is they were under tremendous pressure to turn it around really quick. So yeah. Oh, yeah. 65 episodes in a year, which is what more than one, more than an episode a week. Mm. And that, when you think about that, that's absolutely crazy. Mm. Um, mm. And what you say about it was, it was 12 weeks from start to finish for an episode. And they had like multiple episodes in parallel it's going a, through the production. It's yeah. insane. And what you say about the design is um, DIC who worked on it also worked on Inspector Gadget just mm. before this. So a lot of that does translate it, translate yeah. over when you see it. Mm. Um, I think what's really apparent, especially in this episode where you've got an episode that's got an original villain and more of an original story than the previous two, um, is how much they're sort of relying on a James Bond checklist of he's got to have gadgets, he's got to have the car, he's got to have the girls, rather than allowing for any flexibility. And by having that checklist, they're kind of missing the point. They're missing mm. that heart and soul of what makes James Bond so entertaining. Mm. 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 And not to mention that nobody had been to D.C., <laughs> since like, since the 19th century, by the looks of it. Well, I would imagine that again. That's you know, for every background that you see, that someone has to design that, draw it. So I think that probably the directive from the start was to make backgrounds as kind of ambiguous as possible, so that perhaps they yeah. could be reused somewhere down the line. So whether it's you know some small town in South America or Washington DC or a European village or whatever, it has the same mm-hmm. background, stick it on. It's all just yeah. green, isn't it? Or some poor animator in Korea looked at his deadline and his paycheck and said, you're getting fields. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, you genuinely seem to have some affection for the show and seeing as uh, you and I haven't talked too much on this podcast so far. um, Can you tell us where that sort of affection comes from? Um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I've not not seen it all. Um, I've just seen little bits and bobs I can remember. So I'm, I think I'm too young for the, to have, to have seen this on TV. Um, so I'm sort of the generation after. I have a really strong affection for those shows like Kim Possible and Totally Spies. And when I look back at this, and when I found this as a kid, I found all VHSs. I used to have the books, and I can kind of, I can kind of think of it as like a sort of precursor to those in a way. It's almost like those shows, but not quite as refined. So I think that's where my love sort of comes from. I don't, I don't adore it, um, and I can see all its flaws, but. I think there's some merit and there's some attempts. It's not just entirely a cheap cashing. So, do you think some of those sort of um, the spy homage comics, uh, spy homage (laughs) uh, cartoons that came after this were sort of looking over their shoulder, or were they looking directly to you know the 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 Bond franchise or the 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 feature films, the live action films, to (laughs) to pick up on their ideas or to to allude to? They were probably looking at the live action films. I just find it really interesting that they did it so much better when like people like Michael G. Wilson, the people from the actual films were working on the very thing. I found that fascinating. 
Yeah. And they're not even trying to lean into the sound, you know, the, the, whereas all these other animated things sort of did sort of lean into a, a John Barry noise, you know, adjacent noise at least. Um, there's, I, there's, a, there's another, sorry to keep going on about Mark's book, but there's another, in, there's another interview in there with the composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about how putting the theme together, they were really expecting something really big. They wanted a really James Bond theme and it is very catchy, but also, they were strictly told they couldn't do any copyright infringement, so they had right. to be really careful with what they did. Interesting. Don't infringe our copyright, but please write us a theme song. <laughs> so, <laughs> should edit in the James Bond chord at the end of the song. Just, like, just drop it in at the end. Yeah. Well, what they mean is their budget wasn't big enough to pay uh, John Barry. Monty Norman. <laughs> Monty Norman. Or John. There isn't enough money in the world to pay Monty Norman. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, it really tickled me, Paul. (laughs) I I was about to say, there is an art of like evoking Bond without actually having to pay the royalty to use the James Bond theme. Because I remember there was a Remington Steel episode where they did that over and over, where they were like going right up to the limit and then uh, they pulled back. Right. And there was just an article about um, a, a Deep Space Nine episode that got an angry letter from from uh, mm-hmm. someone about yeah. their, their sort of brushing up against the franchise. Yeah, yeah. don't do this again. Armand Bashir, I think, is the right. episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's interesting. That's what's interesting to me because they don't have the they, they don't have the same restriction here, right? It's this it's the copyright holders making this cartoon, so they're making a choice to to really steer clear in some ways. Doesn't it feel that way, or are there legalities yes. to it? that that i'm not understanding well in terms of the use of the james bond theme they're probably like trying they want to avoid paying the royalties i suspect Mm -hmm. um a way of holding down the cost uh but in terms of everything else though it should be kind of like you own the rights so it's like yeah so it's a decision I think I think Phil's right it is a decision you've only got to look at um something like the incredibles where they make a deliberate choice to kind of um use the kind of barry-esque bombastic kind of uh music score oh hell they actually use majesty's secret service in the film right (laughs) so they don't just lean in they use it so so, you know when when you've got a when you've got a a film that is leaning into the cues uh so to speak um yeah it seems it does seem like a deliberate choice to kind of move away from and the set design yeah well i think the incredibles is 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 kind of like the 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 60s bond film that we kind of right didn't get in a sense um i i think it's it's a natural progression from something like you only live twice Um, well also pixar disney probably a little more money to play with so it's like "Eh, if we have to pay barrier royalty fine (laughs) that's okay well not that much yeah i mean i i guess i'm just saying that like it's uh it 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 is a it is a deliberate aesthetic decision to do it, which I think is as a point disappointing in a way because when you look at something like um, the video game from Russia with Love, where they kind of really lent into that sort of uh, Ken Adam aesthetic, it could have really done something like that more, and I think it would have it would have had it would have been different enough from the live action um, to separate it out, but it would have played into those kind of tropes that we we associate with Bond, and that might have been more of an interesting world to explore. Okay, here's another question then. Could you think that there's a world in which there's a good version of James Bond Jr., the cartoon? 
It's a, it's sure. a distant world. Uh, yeah. It's in the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, yeah, and it was so successful that they never they never brought back the film series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. They went from TV to theatrical cartoons. Like, yeah, we we don't have to worry about casting anymore. So, like, yeah, you know, we're all laughing about this, but in about seven years' time, we'll I'll clip this, and as we're about to enjoy the first fully animated theatrical release of a James Bond film, mm-hmm. from oh, the new I the poster by Sean Longmore. Well, <laughs> we'll we'll be into immersive Bond films before we 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 get a re- reiteration of of James Bond Junior. I think it would be great to be able to, you know, put your VR headset on and walk into that world rather than necessarily just see a, an animation. But who knows? I can honestly see the meeting where like the new owners of MGM come in and they sit down with, you know, you know, with Dan Jack and say, so let's go through top to tail. What IP have we got? And then like, you know, they're putting folders on the table. Here's all the movies we do. This is the books rights we've got. And then the rest of it. And meanwhile, like Barbara is in the back, like tossing the James Bond junior VHSs into the garbage. So. <laughs> <laughs> Melting the action figures. She's doing a George Lucas, like just completely getting rid of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, when a country gets invaded and the embassy burns all their papers. (laughs) (laughs) Burns, shreds, destroys however they can. (laughs) They've got all the shredders going. They've got all the fires going. Do do you guys think the fundamental flaw with it is the concept of James Bond Jr. himself? Is that the problem in that it's automatically, as soon as you hear the name, you're like, oh, it's Diet James Bond? Again, I think it's just under that protective thing that, that you, it shows them not leaning into the aesthetics. They don't want to use the actual character because it would be tainted somehow, I think they think at the time. They've come around on that, with, of course, with the Young Bond novels and other, and other uh properties. But again, though, that was in Fleming Publications, not Ian. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, Ian Fleming Publications decide to take that route with the Young Bond novels. But Ian's going, uh, no way. Can I offer an alternative perspective? Like as somebody who grew up with this, I actually don't see a problem with the James Bond Jr. concept. I mean, you're a kid, you're however many years old. It's like, cool, it's James Bond's nephew. I love the idea of having a spinoff that has some of the elements. And it's somebody who's sort of close to my age when I was a child, being able to go and do some action and adventure the same way that Special Agent Oso does it um, for for kids in the, in the Disney network. You know, I, I feel as though... I just don't see it as maybe we're coming to it as adults, <laughs> um, but as as a children's show, I never really saw it as being um, uh, problematic in that way. I never really had difficulty that the music didn't line up or that the imagery um, was a little bit basic on in terms of like the scenery. Um, I just thought it was a good, fun, action oriented show that even though the animation was a little bit behind its time, it reminded me of like He-Man. Um, so I never really had an issue. Um, and, and I, I don't know if, if Callan feels that way growing up watching it or not. And, and you don't have to agree with me here, but like, I guess it's coming from a place of nostalgia. Like I just didn't think it was an issue in the early nineties. It was something James Bond ish that we were getting at a time when there was a complete drought of James Bond and maybe doing it later on. Maybe we've learned a lot and, and rebooting it in some ways could have maybe more Bondisk elements in it, but I just, I don't actually, I don't have any qualms. Like I can talk, I can critique the gender and I can, we can talk a lot about, especially in the next one, race and ethnicity and depictions. And there's issues for me representationally, but in terms of like the actual form and function, I, I can still watch it and enjoy it and not be like, 
you know, um, yeah. um, well, we having difficulty with, with it. I don't think it was meant to be like this. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't a fifty-year-old man. Are you kidding? Um, <laughs> so, but Lisa, I don't, I don't know your origin story enough to to know. So, were you already a fan of the films when you found this cartoon, or or not so much? You know, it's very difficult to say. I mean, I was watching James Bond films as a kid and I was talking with my parents today about this podcast and my dad's like, he still hasn't watched James Bond Jr. He's like, when did it come out? How come I didn't see it? Where were you? And I'm like, I don't know. It was Saturday or Sunday morning cartoons. Like, why would you be watching (laughs) that? Because he was about 50 at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Like you're a grown adult. Yeah, your kids go off into a different room and we got to, you know, we were watching X-Men and we were watching, you know, whatever was on. Um, So for me, I mean, it was just James Bond Jr. I don't know if I made, I don't know how old I would have been at this point in time, like a 10-year-old making the connections between like the film franchise. Like, I I don't think I was at that level. And as an adult, for me, this is just something I watched as a child and I kind of squeal with delight at its absurdity. (laughs) That's how I connect with it. It's the same with the young Bond novels for me. You know, um, realistically, if you think about it, well, uh, Bond was a school kid and, you know, okay, he, he did some bad stuff at school and he got his uh, ass kicked and so on and uh, he got detentions and had to do his homework and that was it. Uh, he went on holiday once a year overseas probably cause, because of his background, went skiing and all that kind of stuff. But he didn't get into all this kind of um well i read one of the young bonds but uh, Mm -hmm. i can't remember exactly what happened with with eels genetically (laughs) eels and stuff like that uh that that, you know if you're an adult bond fan thinking about uh bond's childhood it wasn't that um but if you are a kid and you know about this uh, James Bond because y- your parents are into into Bond, then yeah, sure, that's exciting. So I I, I do understand the appeal, yeah. and I think that's good. I think we we all probably become Bond fans in our formative years. I'm sure we've all got similar memories of you know watching them with parents or, or relatives or, or something like that. And I think d- targeting the occasional bit of media towards kids is um, is a good idea, really, because it you know. It's um, like Lisa said about the uh, you know awareness of like not sure whether films came first or the cartoon or whatever. It's getting the name out there and it's becoming synonymous. You know, you put it next to Transformers and He Man and all that kind of stuff, and it, it just implants the brain there. So I think it's it's quite a good um, marketing tool. Uh, I, I think which we, which we might see reborn with the new with the new game. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, quite right. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I, and I recognize. Uh, Lisa's, you know, pushback against uh, us sort of picking it apart. But, you know, speaking only for myself, I think that we're a group of uh, uh, people that are invested in the franchise in a historical sense and, and, um, and have a certain amount of inside baseball knowledge. And so, so to me, the the fascinating part of watching this, I'm never going to be air quote entertained by it, but, but to me, just examining the choices and whatnot is what the fascinating part is. And that gets a little, it, it starts to sound like nitpicking, but but it uh, it's not it's not criticism so much as it's just sort of like uh, trying to read between the lines to see how they got to one place or another with this pro- with this property. Basically, what were they thinking? And not in a what were they thinking Correct. way, but what there were they go. thinking? Yeah, exactly. It's sort of fun <laughs> to sort of imagine uh, how how they ended up with what they ended up with. And uh, well, and also the historical importance is this came out in the middle of that eighty nine to ninety five uh, drought of of mm-hmm. the film series. And so, like, 
So however long this cartoon ran, this was your only James Bond fix. And I love the idea that this was Wilson's idea of how to keep the franchise going. And when Barbara really kind of takes the reins, she's like, you know, hiring Oscar winners and 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 and, and dragging right. the thing to, to a place of prestige that it hadn't enjoyed in some years. Uh, it's sort of fascinating to just sort of see <laughs> what it says about the, the the dynamics within that company. I've I've got to say I'm I'm kind of jealous of you guys who got to grow up with this or. I think I'm probably jealous of all of you who got to grow up with James Bond um, because when I was a kid, so I was 10 when Casino Royale came out and seven when Dying of the Day came out. <laughs> that never so, gets old. <laughs> it's, it's just the thing that uh, when you're, I kind of resent Casino Royale for that. I know, I, I know Casino Royale is an amazing <laughs> film, but as a 10 year old, it's really boring. It's really dull. <laughs> yep. And I, I went from Dying of the Day, which was really exciting to then, the whole James Bond franchise being pulled apart and then suddenly I got none of that. And when I got to that age of about 10, probably about 10 to about 15, I completely dropped off of James Bond because wow. it just I, I, I love it. I love it. We've got, someone, we've got someone here who thinks that uh, the Bond series dropped off after Die Another Day. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. well, well, as a kid, as a kid, absolutely. As an adult, I can see, yes, it was the right move. But growing up at that time... Sean, I understand exactly where you're coming from because no jetpack in uh, Casino Royale. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's my first experience with James Bond is that jetpack. Like, whoa. Like, yeah. I'm, like, that's a, I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah, and I'm seven at the time. It raises but... a really good question, though, about like the family centered. I know, and I've talked about like Bond being like a family thing where families connect together. And Sean, you raise a really good point because, like, I know that my dad stops liking Bond after Die Another Day. Um, he does not like Casino Royale. He, he can appreciate Casino Royale, but he doesn't like the direction of the film series. And when people say, hey, I want to get my kids interested in James Bond, I have never said, hey, you want to look up Skyfall and get Quantum your- Quantum of Solace. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like these films, <laughs> they, they, they've, they've lost in many ways that kid connection, that sense of wonder that we've connected with um, as kids watching it and, and, and all the elements that really just sort of brought us yeah. to it. And I think well, that that's, that's an interesting, it's a very interesting point that you, you've brought up, Sean. And the, and they lost it not only in terms of the films but in terms of merchandise. When I was a kid, I you know, I never had one, but I saw kids who had James Bond lunchboxes. Now, like you know, didn't cost ten thousand dollars, like the backgammon set or whatever that cost. You know, don't, like, don't give them ideas, Bill. Please don't. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. You were trying to say was something. I think. I think I think that's. I was just picking up on what Lisa was saying. Where it's harder to. to I have to spend a lot of time explaining how Quantum of Solace and Spectre all sort of fit together and you've got to, you know, you can't sit down and watch one of those films independently. So mm -hmm. for the for the casual person or to if you imagine getting your, you know, future children involved in, <laughs> and, and interested in James Bond, yeah. you'd either have to start at Casino Royale and go, it all goes downhill from here. Um, or, you you know, you, you start somewhere else. <laughs> well, and, and just to be clear, of course, they did not plan this with Casino Royale. That's something they adopted after the right. fact or that dreaded term retcon. But, uh, the James Bond yeah, cinematic like, oh, universe. There's, yeah. there's a, there's a line in the, There was a spinning image mock uh, song with Billie Eilish and Adele. And the line at the end is, these are films for your dad. <laughs> and I think that's actually a very cutting criticism of the Daniel Craig era that holds up. 
And it was a throwaway like line. That. It's a throwaway line in a spoof song, but it was like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm I'm genuinely excited for No Time to Die and for the, the submarine, the plane, the glider submarine, because yes. I've, I've never had that. I've never had that for the first time in a James Bond film as I've been watching it. I've never had that cool gadget vehicle thing. I've never had mm. that wow moment, so I'm, re- I'm really the, excited. The, the dashboard defibrillator didn't wow you in your opinion? <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was like 11, 12 years old, something like that, when Dying of the Day came out, and that is the perfect age to experience that film like, sure. in the cinema. It was great going with my 12-year-old friends. We had a great time. Nice. How, how did you feel about the, the Halle Berry scene? <laughs> Uh, oh, I think we giggled through it all as a, as, as, as a bunch of twelve-year-olds in the cinema. Yeah, no, we really yeah. annoyed like yeah. grown-ups around us. I think by just being awkward about such scenes and giggling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, uh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, so what did you youngin say? Like, I got the thrust of it. Like, did you like repeat <laughs> 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 was it the best dialogue you've ever heard? Didn't they have like my text sale? I got to it. <laughs> I, I'm cl- heads up, I'm clipping that out, Bill. That's gonna be like my that's my best line in six months. No, no, what I mean is like I'm clipping that out and saving it off separately. So when I get an email alert, it's gonna go. That was brilliant. <sighs> should we should we do the next one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. to talk twice the length of the episode about the episode. <laughs> almost two times. It's like other, minutes other, so other podcasts. Have... Other podcasts take four hours to discuss a two-minute trailer. So I think we're hey. all right. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh! Okay. All right. Who's got episode four open? I, I have. Do. Yep. I do. So the version we're watching, the first couple of seconds won't have sound just as a heads up, which should be on mute anyway, but we do have captions. So. Oh, look at that. Are they, are they auto-generated Ooh. captions? They are, aren't they? they yes. Are. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to make so much sense. Okay, three, two, one, play. Okay. okay. It's nice to see Egypt isn't full of fields. Mm. Oh, they, have, they still wear fezzes. Oh. They really keep the sun off. <laughs> I mean, I think I think a fez was like out of date in the sixties, but uh, yeah, whatever. I love that Gordo said Gordo, said Gordo says flunk me. Just if you if you if you didn't coach that, I love that he's called Professor Geezer. <laughs> and this school has quite the travel budget for the kids. Mm-hmm. Posh kids, very expensive. Yeah, well. Yeah. Is Professor Geezer a, uh, a an English joke? Oh yeah, that he's like quite a geezer, you know. <laughs> but I, I guess it's meant to be that they're in geezer. Geezer. Yeah, that would be the obvious explanation, yeah. but they don't do obvious around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the, in the last episode, the lieutenant was Lieutenant Washington, and so they just, that's how they're going to do it from now on. Try to get rid of that dynamite. <laughs> Maybe on, Trevor knows. Maybe Trevor knows where this uh, is the grandson of Dr. Mortner from a Beauty Kill. 
<laughs> Sorry, that took a moment, but I got it. Yeah. Max! Max! <laughs> That's the best throw ever. Uh, that was good. Okay, always... n- n- remember the skylight is there that bothered me when I watched it earlier. I was just about to. I was just about to say. Have you always noticed in films, right, where they spend a really long time going in through the front door, right, and then the front door is somehow colla- collapsed or blocked or whatever, and there's always like a, a smaller exit that they can get out of that they never consider going in that way. Like you know, there's no booby traps through that that skylight. There's, but you know, like the the main entrance has always got like sixteen different things to stop you from going in. Well, that's the thing. He literally just said it's a 3,000-year-old sealed tomb, but there's a window. Yeah, there's a window And spoiler alert, later, they're, they're going to run out of air, even though there's a an open skylight. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a really good point, Ben. I was thinking of that when I watched National Treasure. I did watch it earlier this week. That's I watched exactly Adel the Feature. movie I was thinking of. When they <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they found like the easy way. And I was just, I remember sitting there being like, well, why didn't they just go why in that go way? Go in that way. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it seems to be part of like the adventure genre, the difficult way in the front door, but the back door, it's literally just push it and you're out. You're out. Phrasing. <laughs> it's a real life. <laughs> This is a kid show, right? I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've, you've, uh, you've, uh, uh, my place on on the panel just there. But yeah, no, it is, it is something that I've, I really noticed in, and it is as a kind of a part of the adventure genre is always this kind of um lucky escape you see it in raiders as well when you know he just pushes that that block of stone out and he's just like oh and we're outside again now so we're fine and they could have gone in that way they wouldn't have been anyway so we're going to be introduced to another new villain pharaoh Firo, um <laughs> which which james bond jr already knows about prior to this episode just like the chameleon right there's a yeah. lot of villains. Oh. Major babe alert. Oh. <laughs> oh dear. I kind of I kind of wish I'd done my homework on this and uh, watched it um, prior to recording. Um, <laughs> you I do. Just, yeah. I think lighter is what they call a fuckboy on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. How do we pivot from that? You think he's, he's like easy hitting up Tinder in every little city they're in? Uh-huh. <laughs> he's just swiping on his phone. Oh, yeah. this is um, this is the this, world is the, this is the part of the world is not enough. Isn't well, it's not enough, <laughs> but but with the map from Never Say Never Again. years later Barbara Broccoli will claim that she was reading an an article in a magazine on a plane about the oil pipelines (laughs) (laughs) you were watching James Bond Jr weren't you there's a a great interview with uh, John Peel out there who did the novelizations for James Bond Jr Um, and talking about novelizing this one in particular and all he says is, oh, I don't remember that at all. 
I'm surprised that anyone, I'm not surprised that anyone really read the books after watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like three degrees of separation because that's, this is like riffing on the films, which is then there's novels riffing on the series <laughs> and riffing on the books. <laughs> Sorry, it's like four degrees of separation. <laughs> we go books, films, cartoon, books. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So there's there's novelizations of these? Yes. Who, yeah. who does who does those? Do they it's, it's not through Ian Fleming publications? How does that work? I think it was considered tie-in merch. Marvel did the comics. But surely Ian Fleming publications would be like, don't we own the rights to yeah, but it was James Bond Junior, though, wasn't it? it was, uh, oh. John Peel, they loved no relation. between John Steed and Emma Peel. <laughs> Sorry, I think I'm it's good. I think it's very very tenuous ground to walk on when you're going when you're talking about like ownership of characters and yeah. Well, and, speaking of tenuous ground, this is a three thousand year old tomb, and uh, <laughs> it's never been opened before. And we're just going to have some kids from a school come and do it. Yeah, <laughs> the air in there is fantastic. <laughs> Hang on, what was that I read? Um, did you Something read about Titi? <laughs> uh, the auto-generated subtitle for Nefertiti. <laughs> <laughs> this was for kids. Cairo. <laughs> 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 oh man, this is. Were all this the novelizations board books, by the way? Sorry? Were all the novelizations board books, you know, for the zero to three month year olds? Um, they were they were like ladybird books from what I can remember. Yeah, young readers. Mm-hmm. Um, he told us we interviewed him for the magazine and he said like towards the end, the last one he did, he basically did a Thunderbird spoof and nobody even proved it. So he got away <laughs> with it. I'm looking at the back of one of those Find Your Fate books, and they and they credit Glidrose Publications and Eon. Well, that's a James Bond book, though. Yeah. Versus James Bond Junior. But <laughs> sadly, the Sonic Shovel never made it into the film series yet. It, it, it does make it into Doctor Who later on, though. There is a Sonic Trowel in Doctor Who. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I don't understand what? why he doesn't just shut it off. I don't understand why he gets no shit for this at all. <laughs> <laughs> you took it one step further. Nobody dies. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a really good twist, like mid-season, like kill off one of the characters, <laughs> kill them all off. Like, they wouldn't see that coming. Mid-season. No, I, I could, I could quite happily deal with like them all just being buried alive in this tomb, <laughs> and never coming back to it. The line was "chill out, Tracy." There's a major earthquake going on. In that <laughs> and yet, well, yet again, they've got so they've got this cast of characters, but then they separate James Bond from them again. Mm. With the, the girl, with, with with the guest female character uh-huh. of the week. Uh-huh. Mm. Good. <laughs> <laughs> It is weird, isn't it? Because they're clearly trying to adhere to an element of the James Bond cinematic formula, but it doesn't work. It's kind of what, uh, I can't remember who touched upon it in our last discussion before we watched this, but about, you know, they're trying, it's water, it's a watered down element that, oh, in every adventure, there's going to be a new female who he, you know, has a little crush on or something. And it also Mm -hmm. doesn't work because Tracy's like his, like, 
permanent girlfriend kind of thing. It's really strange, but yeah, the cast is definitely much larger than it needs to be. It's interesting. They do the, the exact same never- thing at the end of Spectre. Mm. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But So the, uh, the Pharaoh's the Pharaoh's called Hip Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was just thinking in Honor Majesty's Secret Service with Tracy, uh, Bond's a bit like that with her as well, though. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But this was mission. coming out of the 80s. Surely he'd be monogamous then <laughs> of all times. <laughs> Yeah, except he forgot about monogamy and license to kill. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that pun so much. <laughs> if you're monogamous once every 50 years, it's okay, right? <laughs> Can you imagine the guys applying for the job working for Farrah Farrah? It's like, yeah, here's your outfit. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like this is proper like Batman sixty six kind of villain. Yeah. This this is not like chameleon with face changing technology. Okay, a bit far fetched, but you know we have face swapping villains in Bond at some point. I can't imagine they'll ever go this far down that route. Um, I do realise that on this podcast, Calvin, we have a an unfortunate habit of predicting the future very accurately. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, in fact, you, you you say that, Calvin, and. Um, um, the uh, I, I actually prefer this style of villain to somebody who's explained, and I, I, I hate I hate it when they do, you know, all, all the um, you know young Bond and, and stuff like that, or uh, to, to try and uh, explain why people are motivated to do uh, what they do, especially with things like Batman. In in fact, because it's like Batman should just be Batman. I don't need to know how and why he became Batman because mm. it, it, uh, being Batman is absurd. So just if you accept the absurd, you accept the absurd. You don't need to explain mm. it. And so uh, if this is the same kind of absurdity, don't explain it. It just is. It's fine. Or, mm. So right. I, I'm actually more okay with this episode than I was with the previous one. Mm. So, so what, what you... They're sealed into a tomb here with no light, but he's got a solar power calculator. It's got That's a window. Wrong. It's got a window. <laughs> Just in terms of this production, okay, somebody on the staff of this cartoon must have read Fantastic Four comic books as a kid because the villain is designed to look like a villain called Rama Tut. You know, like from episode uh, issue number 23, something like that. Of the Fantastic Four, it's like drawn, like clearly influenced by Jack Kirby. It's like you know, no, this is like it's that's the fastest moving <laughs> mummy I've ever seen. <laughs> I was just thinking that I kind of like. I know we touched upon Batman the animated series in the last episode, but just something that was really cool and revolutionary about that series is that they uh, did the backgrounds on dark paper instead of white paper, mm-hmm. which is why it was like really moody and noiry. And here, because they're in like underground and locations and stuff, I wonder if they did the same thing for this particular episode because I think it actually looks an awful lot nicer than uh, the previous episodes we've looked at. Mm. Paul, do you have many uh, mummies in New Zealand? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell us? 
fess up. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if you're judging how fast mummies move, are New Zealand mummies are slower than, than uh, Egyptian mummies? No. <laughs> I mean, we have vampires and whatnot, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. Mm. You've seen that documentary, What We Do in the Shadows, right? <laughs> mm. <laughs> How big is this vehicle that they're in? Because it looks like a factory in the inside. <laughs> how, how big's the diamond on the front? <laughs> it's like a snowpiercer type situation. Mm. I like how he has to knock himself off camera because that would be too violent. <laughs> he called him Young Bond, not James Bond Jr. He doesn't really know. When James Bond knows the name of all the villains, surely the villains can get his title right. He introduces himself as Bond, James Bond as well, without the junior in this episode. Ah. Hmm. He's been watching the films and he's trying to give himself an ego boost. What is that snake doing? Yeah. (laughs) Driving. You know what? I'm surprised there wasn't an episode where James Bond shows up and tells Junior, I'm not really your uncle. I'm really your father. What? (laughs) They did that with Shaft in the most recent Shaft movie. It's like, (laughs) it was revealed. No, Richard Roundtree, why have you been telling uh, Richard Roundtree says to Samuel Jackson Jr., I know you were telling him I I was your uncle, but you know I'm your father. Why? You know, just like, of course he was. Damn, and I was really looking forward to watching that later, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) No, you weren't. I know you weren't. You've had two years. You've had two years, like, spoilers. Never mind. So for those actually watching along with this, um, Nerdler, I pulled the German version of this, and they had extra scenes of the oil coming to get them, which they cut out the US version. In the perilous. show book, too perilous, in the show book, it actually said that the characters could not be put in direct peril, which baffles the mind as to how you do a James Bond show without peril. It, it, it's interesting. There are certain rules about this kind of stuff. I mean, that sounds like a standards and practices sort of thing, which is, is a thing that goes on today in animated TV production. And um, sometimes it, it depends on how fantastical the danger can be. Uh, you know, it's uh, Pinky and the Brain can whack each other with mallets and they can pop back up again. But if a realistic human looking character does that, then it, it becomes sort of imitable uh, right. and, and a bit more frowned upon. So did they put themselves in a corner by trying to make it realistic then? Uh, quite, I would say so, yeah. I think the more uh, fantastical and stylistic you make the look of it, the easier it is to justify some of the more perhaps relatable dangers that the characters end up in. Not that I think most kids are going to end up in a situation where they are running away from oil or whatever. Uh, or whatever a mummy. Or a mummy, yes, yes. Uh, but yeah. Not from in New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> Oiled mummies being a Pornhub category. I, 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 that's right. I, don't, I honestly don't know what, what the mummy, what is the mummy doing in this episode anyway? It makes, it's well, explained at the very end. It says, like, oh yeah, he's this guy, like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> well, you've locked away these guys in some pointless part of the tomb not doing the action. So you need to like, if you've got to cut away to them, you've got to provide some jeopardy. Mm. Running out of air is very hard to animate. So America <laughs> kept the sword stuff in. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Because they're all infidels. And, uh, yeah, I've noticed that. Well, you were talking about the, the rules about peril, and they, they think they just held a saber to his head. Mm. Yep. Confusing. <laughs> right. They had today's newspapers on standby. Wow. May 1,000 camels spit on you or something. It's like... Oh, 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 oh this is bad. For those not watching, we're watching a long dialogue sequence with a uh, very stereotyped shake with camels in a tent. And he's also got sports cars, which is another die another day kind of knock, isn't it? Later. Do <laughs> you want the, the, um, the treasures of the West? Oh, dear. Yeah. Just watch how James Bond Jr. here. Cool. Look at this. Um, stands on top of this car with the. <laughs> With the weapon, yeah, this the, is defying, the, 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 defying this, gravity. This is, this is where he, he falls off the car and accidentally decapitates himself, and that was the end of the season. <laughs> I, I think this la- is quite it cool. It was the last James Bond Junior ever made. <laughs> These kind of cars going through the desert, James Bond Junior on top of it. I, I think it's quite, yeah, it's quite nice. It's a bit oh, Mad Max, God. really, isn't it? It is a little. Mad I, I was thinking June, actually. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. mm. But I'll go with, with Mad Max too. Mad Max well, too. Mad okay. Max as well, not specific <laughs> <too>. <laughs> Sand torpedoes is a really cool idea. I'm surprised they haven't mm-hmm. done that in the main franchise. I was thinking, yeah, like Transformers, the Michael Bay film actually, where um uh is it Scorpionok who's sort of like the robot going through the sand and everything, or Tremors and something like that. But, I wonder yeah. if um, Eon Productions got a call from the US military. It's like, yeah, we're we're gonna invade Iraq. Um tell us about these sand torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the mole from Thunderbirds. Oh, oh my god. god. I hate to cry. <laughs> So everything he's got is Egyptian themed, except for the laser blaster. Hmm. <laughs> it's an Egyptian laser bra- blaster. Clearly. Mm. Mm. Well, that was given to him by the gods, you know, mm. that, <laughs> that came down and built the pyramids for them. Mm. Sorry, that was, um, you know, a slight tongue-in-cheek thing, but I hope nobody took that seriously. I don't believe that that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> he he does, listeners. He does. He's, he's playing Taylor. He's completely mad. Bad, batshit crazy. <laughs> batshit Ben, always going on about his flat earth. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he can't, yeah, he can't walk too far from his house because he doesn't want to want to walk off the edge of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> It's a real danger. I don't understand why more like geez. This I is miss- very much if it wasn't for you pesky kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, it's his cousin or something. Yeah. What relevance was stealing the mummy? <laughs> there was none. The mummy came to life and you know, then there was two and he was the plan would be up. 
So I read this scene when I watched this when, last when night. I, to this. I, I read this scene as like, I'm going to give you something to remember me by. And it's like, cuts away. It's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Tracy's down below. And then she just the license to kill. <laughs> <laughs> the roles are reversed, admittedly, but you know. Hmm. Why did I? Why did I enjoy that a bit? <laughs> oh. It's a slippery slope, isn't it, David? <laughs> you in now? There are hundred and something. Yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that more than the first one. I think. Yeah, much oh. more though. Uh, the, the, the same thing. The same thing happened with the with the other watch along we did. Though I, I preferred the second one we watched to the first one. So. Maybe maybe you need to watch one to get into the right uh, mindset, or maybe you need to talk uh, shit with you lot and drink some alcohol <laughs> to get into it as well. <laughs> uh, two, two, two drink minimum. Mm-hmm. What did the dogs think about it, Ben? Well, we're we're having we're getting the underpinning done on the house, so as, as we record this, so uh, lots of banging and, and the dogs are. Um, you know, being a little bit disturbed by it, but I'm more disturbed um, by what I've seen than they are. <laughs> no, I actually, to be honest with you, um, I I was dreading doing this. Uh, I was thinking that I would use having the work done on the house as an excuse not to be participate in this episode. Um, but I'm actually glad that I did. I I I enjoyed watching um those more than i thought i would um certainly uh, with you guys doing it was uh, um, i'm sure it would be better than to watching it on my own so can i some some points i thought of when i watched this last night was um the whole plot is that they need much, scum needs money right that's where they're going to disrupt the oil supply why why don't they just sell that big freaking diamond <laughs> right well, because it's got a history and people recognise it, and it's difficult to shift diamonds like that. Come on, James. Right. A really, really big golf ball. To put it in. It would take some special. It would take some special person to smuggle that in diamond in the diamond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hang on. Yeah, this is where you can cross it with an octopusy and you can have the travelling circus and put it up an elephant's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I, I, just to be clear, I love elephants. I'm not advocating that. the elephants. Yes, you are. You know you are. I really love elephants. David likes elephants. He doesn't like circuses. <laughs> Couldn't Mrs. Whistler just get a really big Bible to put it in? <laughs> Mrs. Whistler, another James Bond spin-off streaming series. Mrs. Whistler's tour of the Amsterdam River. Oh, I was gonna say it's the life aquatic with Mrs. Whistler. Oh. <laughs> how how she managed to fake her own death and continue running a a primary elementary school in South Africa. <laughs> well, yeah. I, Th- thanks to the Thunderball rebreather. 
Yeah, I, I, wait, wait, I was, she, was, she, was she was she was she managed to get um, one of those from the Royal Navy after they uh, contacted Eon about it? Exactly that. Yeah, I think it must have slipped out of Bond's pocket. No. And, yeah. no, the Royal Navy gave up on it, but Mrs. Whistler figured out how to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, using a couple of soda stream siphon things. <laughs> Exactly what they are as well. Yeah, they just glued together. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be an interesting thing. She could be like a Miss Marple solving her. What, what if she comes back as like a like a ghost solving her own death? Like um, to be fair, she knows what you, know. Kirk, you, know, you know what you could do. You could like run that scene from Diamonds Are Forever, and then like the ghostly. She's standing. She's, she's like, standing on the side next to Wind and Kid. Bond doesn't realize <laughs> where he got the inspiration about the. Uh... You you could put a you could put a like CGI through the rest of the film, like you know when yeah, he exactly. gets into the gets into the elevator, she can go, watch out. <laughs> right. yeah. um, so I I found on eBay um, a copy of the book which was called, renamed Sandblast and not um, whatever this episode was Shifting Sands, and it was by Penguin Books. Um, published by Eon Productions, um, the use of M and James Bond Senior is by agreement with Glidrose Publications. Uh, so they had a they had a deal. Had a deal. They had a deal. Yeah. Okay. That, all right. That, Does that mean M must so, pop up in the book somewhere? Yeah. God. Or the series. The series. Somewhere in the series. Oh, th- there's a new copy going for two hundred and ninety-three pounds on Amazon. That's a good buy, <gasps> right? Well, I'm 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 going to retire then because I've got a box of these. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Interesting that they put James Bond Senior in the credits. Yeah, uh, that, but that's that's James Bond's dad because he wasn't really killed. So Andrew Bond is there with Monique Delacroix, and they're talking baby names. And if it's a boy, James, and if it's a girl. James. If it's more than one boy, <laughs> James. <laughs> Seriously, George Foreman has like five sons all named George. Like, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that at all. It's fine. <laughs> Doesn't cause any problems whatsoever. It's licensed to grill. So those of you that were on the last on that show, note, <laughs> can you can you tell me was this a was this a worthwhile experience or episodes one and two the way to go? Well, in terms of the recording, I thought it was definitely worthwhile. Um, had a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited for five and six. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not excited about episodes five and six, but I'm enjoying talking about them. <laughs> There are a lot of people who are fans of James Bond Jr. And so when I said that we were recording an episode, a lot of them said, I grew up watching it. And so I think there's going to be people who are going to be interested in hearing what we have to say. So for that reason, I think it's a really worthwhile um, um, define activity. Define a lot. Wow. <laughs> a lot is relative. No, Lisa, that's fine. Lisa, that's fine. Don't, don't, don't let them pick at you because, again, it's all, you know, it's all out there. And it's all worth discussing. Agreed. I, I totally yep. agree with Lisa. I think there are there are quite a few people who have fond memories of this, even if even if it's not 
like high art as such as David touched on earlier on, but it's still something that pe- some people grew up with and some people are very fond of. And I think it's nice actually that it it, it is a part of the series. And uh, for Bond fans who enjoy the hist- the historical aspect of the series, as we touched on earlier on, it's interesting. And for people who liked the series when it first went out, it's it's interesting. So hopefully someone gets something out of these discussions um, around it. And I, mean, I, I work in animation, so I find it endlessly fascinating from that aspect as well. Um, yeah, no, I love it. Well, and as, as I said earlier, this is not necessarily my cup of tea, but it's out there and it has historic importance in terms of the mm. Bond franchise. Again, you know, it was like the only way you could get your James Bond fix between 89 and 95. And except, for the, novel, except, for, the, except for the Gardner series. Right. Well, and the, that's the books. I mean, in terms of something you could watch visually. Yeah, um, uh, just to um, really uh, continue for, from what Calvin was saying, that I mean, basically, I hate these. I, I've got to say, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but no, no, but the 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 but is important. If they had called me at the right age, I would have watched them. And mm. they are the they are the gateway drug into the Bond films. Mm. So uh, so I would have watched them if I'd been the right age when they were around. No question, no Absolutely. question. I I was completely obsessed with Bond from from eight years on, and uh, so James Bond Junior, no problem. <laughs> But, as a, as a, uh, but I, 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 I'm, I'm 55, and, and I'm looking backward. Uh, uh, if, if you're, if you, if you, if you're a kid watching these, you've only got uh, forwards to look. So mm. it, it's fine from that point of view. So uh, yeah. So you, you, I, you, so anybody who is a fan and doesn't like what we're saying should also, uh, I think, uh, recognize how we're looking at it. We're not looking at it the same way as you are. Well, and I was also going to say, you know, when you were a kid in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was a way to get into James Bond. In the first half of the 90s, this was it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, kids weren't going to read the uh, the Gardner books um, because you generally, like, read the books when you were older. Um, so, yeah, it's, again, it's in. It's something that should be noted. It's like, if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. But it should not be dismissed out of hand like, well, that that's not really James Bond. Well, yes, it is. Um, in a backdoor sort of way, maybe. But it is. So there you go. Backdoor. Back All for cultural curiosity, <laughs> right? When I was a kid, my, my big franchise was Planet of the Apes. And there was an uh, animated series that, that makes this thing look like a Walt Disney production. Uh, like it, it redefined limited animation, but uh, I ate it up because it was just more Planet of the Apes. I was excited, and it, it was a slog. I try watching them today; it's impossible. They're on Hulu, um, but you know, yeah, it's 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 that thing. What what's what struck that little part of your brain when you were twelve years old and stuck? It's interesting, though. You know, if you compare similar sort of big franchises that have had animation. Um, animated series alongside it like if you look at say droids um, and some of the other Star Star Wars ones 
plus you look at um you know the star trek animated series you know they they all kind of fall in fairly well within those universes you know you you know they they're considered canonical and um you know they when you when you watch them especially well if you watch the star trek one uh, you know, it's it's not dissimilar to watching a, a, a live action Star Trek episode. Well, in fact, they did sequels to original Star Trek episodes. They had a yeah. uh, they right. had a uh, sequel to the Tribbles episode. They had, um, I think, they had a sequel to Harry Mudd. You know, yeah. there were two episodes with Harry Mudd, and they did one with the cartoon with the original actors doing the voices. Yeah, this um, is what I'm. This is what I'm kind yeah. of. Sort of driving it is that there is this you know this real connection to those animations you know like particularly with with star trek which you you know you feel put them very much um with the live action content you know uh, alongside it whereas with with james bond jr i really feel like it's it's a very separate entity and a very separate universe that that is being created by it um and that I think that that, that juxtaposition is quite um, um, it's quite jarring at times. And and what do you think makes it a separate universe, Ben? Um, well, I, I I think we 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 sort of touched on it earlier. It I, I think that you know just just paying like lip service to kind of um, other characters is is isn't enough to create a world um i think you need to you know you can't just go this is q's cousin or this is you know it you need to have something a little bit more sub- substantial and concrete to to tie it to that world and i don't even think that that they are particularly good stand-ins for the for the adults who that they are representing you know no, felix doesn't come across like a young you know whoever the young felix is or you know do you know what i mean they don't they don't they don't stand in yeah, particularly they, they well could for the be anybody yeah, yeah yeah and and this is this is the thing that david sort of said earlier it's like literally they could they could be anybody they don't connect to the characters that they are are kind of aping and um so there isn't that sense of familiarity and there isn't a sense of familiarity in their environments um and in terms of kind of narrative and plot um it does lean more into the kind of fantastical elements of 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 bond so i think there are some tie-ins to some of those more kind of crazy uh bond films you know uh particularly what came after this show in fact but um overall it doesn't feel like bond to me and that's well just be sure i think it's a flawed product and you know particularly with odd job in a super villain costume with but while still having a hat that's kind of an odd image but you know it's you know but at the same time, though, animation gives you options that you don't have with live action. Whether this cartoon series took maximum, <laughs> did that to the best, I, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm thinking probably not. But still, it's like, but a lot of people like it. And it's like, whatever I think of it, I'm going to like acknowledge it has a following. And even if Eon's doing its best to make people forget it ever happened. 
Not on our watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Keep the flame alive. And probably Sean's going to do a poster now, so I'm excited. You heard how excited you got about that font? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you steered yourself into a whole like, heap of shit there. <laughs> There's a one poster for each There was only one James Bond. You were wrong. <laughs> right. I actually need to instigate a pylon of some kind on Sean to do prints of that damn Christmas Jones poster, which was yep. fantastic. And I need it on my wall in some form. Oh, you're, you're insane, Calvin. You made <laughs> crazy. Don't blame me. <laughs> Sean, you're talking to two people on this podcast who read Denise Richards' autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> and one who, and one who, once he heard what she said in that, like felt really sorry for her. Like, yeah, I did. Two, yeah, two. I felt sorry yeah. for her too. What did she say? Well, you guys read that excerpt, and it's like, oh, I haven't read it, but like, I feel really sorry for her. Now. Yeah, I, I felt sorry for her as well. I think she's great. Anyway, that's another subject. Right. <laughs> I always, I always, every time I come on these podcasts, I come off, come away with a big to-do list. <laughs> oh, Calvin does too. We keep coming up with these shit, shit video ideas for him. <laughs> I still blame the Dolly Braces video on you, James. I still <laughs> comment on that fucking video. Uh, okay. You can we do t- a video <clears throat> on Dolly's braces. <laughs> then I did, oh, and now. No. Well, I think you should do the next episode of James Bond Jr., your review, Calvin. And like you said in those earlier reviews, you were going to do all 65. So Oof. I think you should finish them all. And then, <laughs> so, then, then I'll give you a Christmas Jones poster. Oh, deal. Okay, good. Good. Keep this in the episode, James, because we're going to refer back to this. And right. Calvin, by um, the time you're done, no time to die will be out. <laughs> Bill, I, I admire your optimism, Bill. <laughs> in 2025. I'm a happy guy. I'm a happy, optimistic person. What can I say? James, you really cursed it. You did a countdown on Instagram once that really f- fucked over. Twice. Twice. <laughs> twice. I reached it twice and I gave up. I left Instagram. So um, to tease the next watch along, episode five, Plunder Down Under, features original <laughs> original villain Walker de Plank. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is it Walker D? Walker D plank. Walker D plank. So, so we, we, we need to do this in pirate mode. Walker Donald yeah, pirate voice. Arg, arg. And um, uh, and the episode six. Episode six. Make a episode six. From the dogs, right. Episode six has a very troublesome Doctor No. Oh <laughs> yes. Oh. Which is full-on Fu Manchu. As if a, a Canadian <laughs> pretending to be Chinese wasn't problematic enough. <laughs> so in other mm. words, it's a uh, faithful adaptation of the novel. <laughs> well, apart, from his, apart from the fact that he's green. He's green. Green? <laughs> it's, oh, a giant, it's a giant kraken making an appearance. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Oh, God. I can't wait! I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm watching ahead, guys. We want raw, unvarnished opinions on these podcasts. 
<laughs> All right, take us out of this, Paul. <laughs> Escape this damn hell. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for making this collective experience much more enjoyable than it it could have otherwise been as a solo one. <laughs> And that leads me to thank Phil, David, Calvin, Sean, Ben, Bill, Lisa, and James. And we'll see you in a week or so. We'll try and get some more people on it because, you know, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure it falls over next time. Oh, God. Take care, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.